Good morning, All Shores. We're so happy to have you here with us. Please stand and worship with us. Friends, I love that song because it gives just this beautiful full gospel picture of our Father God and his love for us, his sending of his Son, his one and only Jesus Christ to us, who made a way for us so that we can each personally have a relationship with him. And I love that our relationship with God is not something that comes from us earning, from us doing, but it's just from us being and accepting his love. 
that we can walk fully. The scriptures say that we can approach his throne boldly and confidently knowing that his love for us and his forgiveness washes us clean. And uh, I don't know how you're coming into this place today, but I want to engage in an exercise that I think will set us up well for the rest of the day and what God wants to do in this place. And so if you're comfortable, I want to invite you to put your hands out like this with your palms facing down. And I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to picture just all of the things that you came in here with today. Maybe it's the agenda of the rest of the day, the things you have to accomplish. Maybe it's, you know, uh, some things, some worries or some cares that you're carrying. Maybe it's a family member that's dealing with a health issue that's on your mind right now. Whatever's on your mind, I want to invite you to just picture as your hands are facing down that you are releasing those things at the throne of Jesus Christ. And now what I want you to picture is Jesus Christ rising from his throne, walking down to you, looking you in the eyes with a smile, with love, pure love in his face. And as you picture that, I want to invite you to flip your hands over so now your palms are facing upward. Just imagine that Jesus Christ is placing a gift in your hands. <laughs> and the gift is his very self, his presence. That Jesus Christ just wants to be with you personally today. Just sit in that moment and just receive God's love for you today as a son or a daughter. Take joy, take joy. so hard to see it. it took me so long to believe it that you choose someone like me to carry your victory perfection could never end you give what we don't deserve it Take the bro. 
again you are my champion you are my champion and giants fall when you sin undefeated every battle you won I am who you say I am you crown me with confidence I am seated in the heavenly place undefeated with the one who has conquered it thank you Jesus we're so grateful for your love for us 
It's so good to worship with you all today. 
And uh, we're going to do uh, prayer time a little differently this morning. I want to invite you to grab your seat. And uh, Steve Durr, who is a pastor at Watermark Church in Grand Haven, he just wants to pray this prayer over us today as we engage in worship. So turn your eyes to the screen and receive the prayer that Pastor Steve prays. I'd like to pray for you and for Pete and Jane at this time. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for Pete and Jane. We thank you for their marriage. We thank you for their friendship. We thank you for the way they invest in others and care for others. Um, I, I thank you for the way they laugh. Um, and uh, I have so many great memories of just laughing with them and enjoying life and being real and authentic. God, thank you for them. Would you bless them with childlike wonder and Holy Spirit, fill them afresh for this season and the next. So thank you for this moment. And then God, I pray too that you'd bless all shores, that all shores would even more in this season discover who they are in you, that they would come together in a sense of greater authenticity, greater um, kingdom compassion, God, that people who maybe have been holding back, this would be a season where they could step forward, that Lord, you would lead and guide each person and that you would continue to make all shores a healthy church that would then reach this community and beyond. Thank you for them. We bless them. We pray that you would um, bless them this summer, take care of all the needs. Uh, we love them. We thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much. Well, thank you, Pastor Steve. Some of you may remember that 20 plus years ago, Steve was our youth pastor here. And when we felt called to launch a church in Grand Haven, Steve stepped up and said, I will do that. And so we're grateful for their friendship, the relationship, and the partnership that we have with Watermark Church. Well, good morning. I'm so glad that you're here worshiping with us today. Uh, we have a wonderful service planned, and you guys might not know it, but I know that God is going to meet with you in a unique way because every week we have people praying for you praying over you, and praying in advance for the service that God's presence would just fall on each and every one of you. So I hope that you have sensed that even already this morning. But if you're a guest with us, a special welcome. We'd love to get to know you. The best way we know to do that is through our connection card, and you can access that through the QR code on the seat in front of you. Um, you can also find that on our website. But if you're here in the worship center, the best and easiest way is to have you just head right out to the Connection Center. We have a gift waiting for you, and we'd love just to say hello in person. So if you'd make your way out there before you leave today. And then we have a lot of things going on this summer, and I don't want you to miss them. So on the tables and at the Connection Point, there's these teal cards. Grab one on your way out, stick it on your fridge. It lists all of the summer events, and we have them for every age and all kinds of things that would appeal to a wide range of people in your interests. So grab that. We don't want you to miss out on the fun that we have planned for you this summer. Well, now we continue with worship through giving. And, you know, as a staff person, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for your investment in All Shores. I want to thank you for your consistency and your faithfulness and your generosity because we could not do ministry without you. So thank you for partnering with us in this way. We have giving boxes next to the exits. If you've come prepared to give, we also have an online option for you as well. So we have a great service planned. Uh, look at the screens, if you will, for the next message.
Well, good morning again. Welcome to Spring Lake. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. You get me today. Oh. Wasn't expecting that, but th thank you. I don't get that very much. <laughs> um, you might want to change that after it's over, right? Anyway, uh, we are in week four of the D2 series, Finding Joy in the Unexpected, and we are sitting in the chapter uh, 16 of Acts. And if you haven't been with us, that's all right. Each week is kind of a standalone, but we're following the story of Paul and Silas, who were two missionaries, being sent out, and everywhere they went, they seemed to bump into a detour, and yet there is something about their experience that they learned to have joy in the midst of that, which is why the series is called Detour, Finding Joy, right, in the unexpected, uh, because I think there's some lessons that, that we can learn from that, but if you haven't heard the last couple of messages, I um, want to encourage you to do that, go online and, uh, and watch those, um, but we're going to start in verse 19 today, but before we get there... We just want to prepare our hearts for what God has for us. So we're just going to take a moment of silence and just prepare ourselves to hear from the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but your word endures forever. And Lord, we are thankful that you have given us through the power of your Holy Spirit these words. And that same spirit is here and filling us and amongst us today. And so I pray that you would help these words come alive for us. Lord, it might not even be anything that I say, but Lord, help us to hear what you have to say to each of us. And may that stick today. Whatever it is, would it challenge us, correct us, and ultimately change us that we might be more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, it is summertime, and I don't know if you guys have noticed, but they've been... Uh, planting the state tree uh, excessively lately around the area uh, in Michigan, and I have encountered many of these cones as of late. Uh, summertime, we try to get out, uh, ride the motorcycle as much as I can, and so a week ago with some friends, we're going to go out to dinner, and uh, we decided to take some back roads and we discovered that there were two closed roads, two different detours. We went about 15 to 20 miles out of our way, and it changed our plans for the evening. There were some things we were going to do and didn't have time to do before we had to leave to go back. So that, that kind of frustrates me when I bump into some of those detours. And then even a week before that, uh, some of us on staff, we were at a missions conference in Europe. And uh, the day we left Europe and we're flying home, I get a text on my phone at 4 o'clock in the morning that says, your flight has been canceled. And uh, they had a different plan for us, their detour, if you will, 24-hour uh, wait, which wasn't too bad, but 24-hour wait. And then uh, they figured the most direct route was to take us uh, from Zurich to Chicago, Chicago to Denver, Denver to Grand Rapids, because that made sense. Um, thank you to Christine <laughs> Matthews, who picked my wife and I up, thank you, in Chicago, so that we didn't have to take that full detour. But if you're like me, you've been inconvenienced, right, by some of these detours and in your travels. And uh, there's something that I've learned along the way that as I've gotten older, I don't know more mature, but I've gotten a little bit older, I've learned some things to help me in the midst of those moments when, I, when I'm faced with a closed road or a detour. And it's a way of thinking. It's a different perspective. And it's this. When your destination is assured, your suffering can be endured. <laughs> and here's what I mean by that. I knew that we were eventually going to get to the restaurant and to the place we were going to have dinner. It might be at a different time, might be uh, take us a little bit longer, but I knew we were eventually going to get to that dinner on that motorcycle ride. When I was flying out from Europe, not only did I get the text message that said your flight has been canceled, but shortly thereafter, I got a text message that said, we have a new flight for you. It's 24 hours away but we have something for you. And there's something in that that made me go, okay, I can do 24 hours. I can, I can get through this because I know that ultimately I'm going to get to my destination. If you've ever traveled and you might run into, uh, you know, some roadblocks along the way, but you have a hotel 
and you know that you've reserved it. Now, you want to get there by 8 p.m. It might be 1 o'clock in the morning when you get there, but you know you're still going to have a room, right? And so there's something in that that you kind of go, okay, I can deal with this situation because I know ultimately where I am going. And when, you, when your destination is assured, right, the suffering you can endure. And so I want, the question that I want us to face today as we get into this text in Acts 16 is simply this. How do you handle suffering when it comes to life's detours? Because what I'm talking about is you're traveling, right? But life's detours are a little bit different. When you're younger and you're, you, you have that college picked out for you and you got your plan and then you don't get accepted, that's a, a road that's closed. That You've got a detour. And you have to suffer through that and you have to wrestle with that. Maybe you've been dating someone for a long time and this is the person you're going to marry and he or she winds up having a different plan and you break up. You've got to change your plans. How do you deal with that suffering? And those of us who are a little bit older, it's that job that you wanted, it's the house that you thought was going to come together, it's the vacation that you longed for, but you find out that you didn't get the job so you can't afford the house and now you can't go on vacation. Maybe it's when you're a little bit older and you've got that retirement plan and everything is in place and you're heading in that direction and more time with family. And then the doctor diagnoses you and you realize I have less time than what I thought. How do you deal with suffering when it comes to life's Detours. I hope that as we look at this text and Paul and Silas and their experience that we can glean a, a different way of thinking when we are in the midst of that this morning. So Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, as I said, were missionaries. They, uh, they were headed out and, and they had a plan. They were going to go to Asia and then God closed that door. So they were going to go to Bethania and God closed that door. So they went to a place called Troas and while they were there, Paul has a vision. It's a man telling him to come to Macedonia. Paul, come to Macedonia. We need to hear the gospel. So Paul, believing that that was God's way of leading him, they go into Macedonia and they wind up in the city of Philippi, which was kind of, if you will, the county seat or the, the capital of that region. And so Paul and Silas wind up in Philippi and they have some wonderful experiences, at least in the first several days. They go down to pray and they encounter a woman and, uh, and they lead her to Christ. And then they go back to her house and she and her entire household come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and they're all baptized and a church is begun right there in her house. And then days later, Paul goes down, they, they go down to pray again and this woman with an evil spirit keeps following them around just like the demon-possessed did in Jesus' day, calling out Paul and Silas and saying, these men are from God and they're telling you the good news of Jesus. And it says that Paul finally gets annoyed and he does what Jesus did. Spirit, come out of her. In the name of Jesus, come out. And the evil spirit leaves her. Well, she was a slave filled with an evil spirit who was telling people's fortunes and because of that, she was making other people, her owners, she was making them money. Well, when the spirit is gone, so is the money. And so we pick up in verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. And they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates, which was the, the Roman uh, they would legislate and give the authority to a couple of magistrates. They were the law and order, if you will, in the community. And they said, these men are Jews. They signified that they were, they were religious in some way. They were different than those in Philippi. These men are Jews, and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept the practice. The charge against Paul and Silas is that they are bringing some kind of a strange religious activity that is throwing the city into an uproar. They had been talking about Jesus and preaching the gospel for days. It wasn't until it affected the economy that all of a sudden they got in trouble, right? 
mixing politics and religion, all of a sudden it became a, a bigger deal. And so they took them before the magistrates. Thank goodness that doesn't happen today. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and he fastened their feet in the stocks. You know, sometimes we read scripture and we just kind of read the story, but we don't really imagine or picture what was taking place. But this was rough. The words attack in, uh, in Greek means that, that the crowd rose up, literally physically rose up against them. You can picture this mob carrying them to this jail where their clothes are torn off of them and they are beaten. The symbolism for the magistrates, the Roman magistrates, was uh, a rods of steel or rods of, of wood wrapped up with an axe. Uh, interestingly, it was Mussolini who brought that image back for his fascist movement in Italy years ago in World War II. But that image, they, they carried around these staffs, and so they beat them. They tore their clothes off. They beat them, and as they were bleeding, they threw them into this dark cell, which the inner cell, which there was no light in there. It was a dark, damp place, and put their feet in stocks, which would have been like, you can picture the wooden boards with a couple of holes that you can put your feet in and lock them up as a form of torture where it's difficult to walk around and it's painful. This is, this is what Paul and Silas went through. They were in the midst of this suffering. And this concludes the passage of Scripture today. We're going to sit in this. You go, well, hey, what happened to the rest of the story? It's like watching a... It's like watching an intense show on TV and all of a sudden it just cuts and says, to be continued. We're going to sit in this. Because although we know the rest of the story, and if you don't, come back next week. Because we're going to continue it. little spoiler alert, they get out. <laughs> Only to get thrown back in prison again. But they get out miraculously and God is there with them. But I want us to kind of put ourselves in that place because for Paul and Silas... They didn't know the end of the story. They were suffering physically, emotionally. Is this really where God wanted us to be? Is this really what this is all about? They were in the midst of struggle. And we sit in that because some of us are there today. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't have that end of the story, right? Someone hasn't written that for you. And you're in the midst of struggle and you're in the midst of frustration and you're in the midst of suffering. You don't know what the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year is going to look like. It's difficult. For Paul and Silas, they were suffering for the gospel. And I get that. In North America, we rarely suffer for the sake of the gospel, right? Someone disagreeing with your faith statement on Facebook is not suffering for the gospel. Let's just be clear. Paul and Silas, in the midst of that, were learning and continuing to learn something, a different way of thinking, a Christian view of the world that kept them not only together, but kept them with optimism and joy. See, the word joy comes up quite a bit in the book of uh, the Philippian, uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church. We call it the epistle of joy. And Paul writes it while he's in prison in Rome. He just keeps winding up in prison. But this idea of still having joy in the midst of this suffering and what they just went through, it seems odd. Where did that come from? What kind of perspective did they have? Paul, when he writes uh, to the church, in Philippians chapter 1, he begins his book by saying this, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. He's in prison again. He says, I write this to you guys. You, you were with me in those days when I was arrested. You were with me. You saw that. 
Paul's back in prison. He says, but I write you with joy because of your partnership in the gospel, the good news of Jesus, from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's part of Paul's perspective. Listen, when I came to know Jesus Christ, he filled me with his spirit. He gave me the promise of eternal life. He gave me direction and purpose in my life. And he who began that good work is going to complete it. There is a day when it is going to be done. It's not today. I might be suffering. I might be in prison. But that's all right because this isn't the end of my story. God is doing a work in the world and in me that is going to carry me to that place of completion. You and I are a project, not a project, we're, we're under construction. And God is taking us somewhere. And Paul had a different perspective in mind. He knew that God had something more, a destination. And when your destination is assured, your suffering can be endured. Paul could look ahead in the midst and go, I, this isn't the end. There's something more that God has for me. And so he could write to this church in Philippi even later, and he would say these words, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, that many people live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Even they would face suffering, just as he was facing there are those who are opposed to the gospel. There are those in our, in, our, in our world who make it difficult for us. He says, but their mind is set on earthly things. And then here's, here's the Christian worldview again. Paul says this, but our citizenship is in where? Our citizenship is in heaven. You don't belong here. There is a destination that God has for each and every one of you. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. God is completing a work in us, people. Our citizenship is in heaven. We have a destination that is assured and reserved for us by God himself. And when your destination is assured, your suffering can be endured. You can get through it. Paul didn't come up with this Christian worldview on his own because this is the way that Jesus approached his own suffering. On the very night before Jesus was crucified, he met with his disciples in his last prayer, the high priestly prayer in John 17. Jesus prays for his disciples and he prays for those who would believe in the gospel, you and I. And here's what he says. I am coming to you now, meaning the Father, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have, the disciples, and you and I might have the full measure of my joy. Jesus is going to the cross and he still has an expression of joy because he knows that is not the end of his story. He says that they might have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Again, they're enemies of the cross. Why? For the disciples and believers of Jesus Christ are not of the world any more than I am of the world. You don't belong here. This is not your final destination. God has a place for each and every one of us. God has assured that for us. Heaven is not just an idea, it's a destination. And if you don't know that hope, the scriptures are very clear that God loves you, that he sent his son Jesus Christ to suffer, that you might have that hope, that you might come to receive his forgiveness and know the promise of eternal life. There are days when I don't know how you get through the suffering in this world unless you know that hope and that promise that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. When your destination is assured, your suffering you can endure. You can get there from here. It might be a detour, it might be a season in your life that you're wrestling with, that you're struggling with, but you can get there from here. 
And what a powerful thing for us to hear. Some of you need to hear that today. That God has not given up. That he is still with you. That even in that darkness and even in that struggle, it is not the end of your story. Years ago, my wife and I were going through some struggling with a, with a close family member who was dealing with mental health issues and depression. And so we, we struggled and had to go through. We went to counseling and we saw others to pray for us. And it was during that season that one of my counselors, I remember one day, said to me, Thad, this is hard. This is hard. But you can do hard. I just remember that because I needed to hear that. This is hard, but you can do it. This is difficult, but you can do difficult. And it reminded me of what Paul says, that he who began a work will carry it on to completion, that you and I are under construction. And just like any other job, right, when things get difficult, when things get dangerous, the people on the job, they don't just quit. They put the hard hat on. And they keep going back to work because they have a job that's going to be done, a job that needs to be finished. And there are days when, as a Christian, I need to put my hard hat on and just push forward because, you know what, this is not the end. There is something more that God has. And when I know that destination and when I have that promise, I can get there from here because I can do difficult. I can suffer and endure it for a while because I am assured of that final place that God has for me. Maybe today you need to put your hard hat on and by faith just say to the Lord, all right, I'm gonna keep going. It's one more day, one more week, one more month, but God, you and I are gonna do this together. The Apostle Paul, again, writing to the church in Philippi, would say this, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do this. I can get through it. But then he joins with the church. He says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. I'm not alone. We're in this together, Paul says. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. There was something about Paul's suffering in Philippi that the church there had experienced and had witnessed and had seen. And when they saw Paul experiencing that, whether it was in Philippi or someplace else, they wanted to be a part of relieving him of that. They wanted to be a part of sending him aid, sending him finances, whatever he needed, they wanted to come along and support. And I think this is the other part of the story today. Sometimes we need to hear in the midst of our suffering and our struggle that we can get through this. But church, we have brothers and sisters around the world who are struggling in different ways for the sake of the gospel. Some of us are not suffering because we're preaching the gospel or telling people that we are followers of Jesus Christ, but around the world, we, we do. We have individuals who are struggling. Back in April, I was in South Asia for a conference with national leaders from Pakistan, India, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh. Uh, Myanmar was not represented because they couldn't get out of the country. And each and every one was sharing stories of how they were being persecuted, how politically and how hard it was to, to share the gospel. One of the national leaders from one of the countries in Nepal, uh, he and I were having dinner one night, and two of his pastors that week while we were there had been placed under arrest and were thrown into jail for the same reason Paul was, for preaching the gospel, for bringing people to Christ. And individuals were converted, and that is illegal. I asked him, because I assumed he had, I asked him if he had been to jail for the same reason. He said yes. I said, what, what, is that, what did that look like what, for you? 
He said, I was, I was there for about three days without food, without water. I was beaten. I was asked to deny Christ. And then they let me go. He said, I don't really want to talk about it. I didn't blame him. And here he is leading the church and leading other pastors in that community. He left jail and went out and started to preach the gospel again. I don't know what that's like. Paul does. The early church does. But the Philippian church came alongside of those who were suffering and they gave and they supported and they prayed. They sent others. And that's what the church globally is doing today. I talked with one of the pastors in India on Friday and he said, pray for a couple in our church. They're leaving to go up to the north to this place in Manipur that is now being persecuted. Early in May, one of the states in India, Manipur, um, because of political and religious unrest, it just exploded, broke open. More than 238 churches have been burned and destroyed. 145, I think, offices uh, have been burned down, uh, church headquarters and offices. More than 4,500 homes of Christians, and they're targeted. One house next door is left alone. The house of the Christian burned to the ground. In three days, more than 30,000 people fled that region, are now refugees looking for safety, looking for food and help and resources. One of the pictures of one of the churches there that's being burned in Manipur, they're struggling, much like Paul did. And yet, we have the opportunity, just like the Philippian church did, to come alongside and to pray for and to support them. So the North American church, Dr. Wayne Schmidt, who's our general superintendent, recently opened up the Wesleyan Emergency Relief Fund, or WERF. It's a bad acronym. But the Wesleyan Emergency Relief Fund is there uh, specifically during certain times of disaster, like the Haiti earthquake or the Ebola crisis in Sierra Leone, or the Ukrainian Relief Fund last year that we helped to give towards. Uh, every now and then they designate when things are difficult because we have Wesleyan churches and people who are in that area. And so we have a, a way and a means of getting support directly to the church that's there our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Wayne has opened this up to help the Christians there in Manipur. And so here's a QR code. And whether you want to do this or feel led today or not, you can get out your phone and at least open up the website and look at it later. But I just want to challenge all of you to consider what you might do, just like the Philippian church, to give to the work that is going on because of those who are suffering like Paul and Silas. Perhaps we might be one of those one and only churches that come alongside to support those who are preaching the gospel in difficult places. We also are going to have uh, some stations up front here. Um, or let me back up. If you don't want to give online, after the church is over, outside there's a map of the world on the wall over here in the lobby. And there is a basket in a place for you in specific directions for you to be able to write a check or put some cash in an envelope and, and place that in. And we will be sending that this week uh, as a part of the response to this. But this morning, we just have a simple, uh, tangible way for us to, to put our hard hat on, if you will. And uh, we, have, we have three stations down front. And they have plastic hard hats on there. And what I'm going to ask you to do is simply this. There's two reasons to come forward. If you're going through something difficult right now and you want to say to God, I'm going to put my hard hat on and we're going to get through this together. I can get there from here, Lord, with your help. And you just want to come and commit and say, I'm going to leave this in your hands. We're going to ask you during our worship time to come up and just sign your name, first name. Don't have to have your email address, none of that. Sign your name on one of the hats just to acknowledge before the Lord, we're going to do this together. You began a good work in me. 
you're going to continue it, and I'm going to hold on. Second, if you're not in that place, but you want to commit to saying, I'm going to pray for the persecuted church. I'm going to pray that God brings freedom and relief to those who are suffering for the gospel. I invite you to come up. Just sign your name. We're going to leave these up for a couple of weeks, but we're going to worship together. And as we do so, I'm just going to invite you to come forward. It might feel a little awkward stepping out. Step out from your seat, come forward, sign your name, and make this commitment to pray. Will you do that? Why don't we stand and I'll pray. Lord, thank you for your message. Thank you for uh, the hope that we have that even in the midst of suffering and struggle, you're there with us. And it's not the end of the story. The story is still being written. But Lord, we know the destination. We know where we are going. That place has been reserved for us. And because we know our destination in Christ, we can get through the suffering in this life. Because we don't belong here. We belong with you. Lord, help us to, uh, to recall that, remember that, and hold on to that. We pray for our brothers and sisters overseas that they too would, even in the midst of their struggle, experience joy in knowing they are not alone, that we are there with them, that we are lifting them up in prayer, we are supporting them in their struggle. But Lord, that they would have the hope and the confidence of knowing this is not the end of their story. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to come as we worship. Anointing. 
you remain standing. We're going to close by taking communion. And when you came in, you should have received a cup. There's uh, two layers to that. The top, if you peel back, is the bread. And then the second layer uh, is, the, is the cup, the juice itself. And if you're new with us, um, I just want to let you know that you don't have to be a member of our congregation or be Wesleyan. Uh, some of us don't even know what that means. So, we are followers of Jesus Christ. And if you, by faith, follow Jesus, we invite you to partake together with us. This is an open table. Scriptures tell us in Hebrews that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. It's hard to comprehend that even going to the cross, Jesus had joy. But when you realize that he knew the end of the story, and he knew the thousands, millions that, of lives, your life, that was going to be changed because of it. He was willing to endure. We can get through this, whatever it is, because we have a different destination. There is an end to this story, and man, is it a good one. We get to be with him for all eternity, not because of what we've done, but because of what he has done. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread he gave thanks and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And then taking the cup. He said, this is the blood of a new covenant, my blood, shed for the forgiveness of your sins, that you and I are made new, that you and I, because of his suffering, can have the hope of all eternity. Let us take in remembrance. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and for his willingness to suffer for our behalf. And God, may we be willing to suffer for his. And may we understand the hope that we have because of what he has done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Before I let you go, let me give a blessing if you'll just open up your hands. And now may God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, continually fill you with his spirit. May this week you be filled with joy knowing who you are in Christ. May you have the hope in the midst of any struggle or suffering that you have. May you remember the destination that God has for each of you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.